0: Welcome to my coaching podcast, Dancing in the Moment, where I chat to people from the world of coaching and psychology about their story, their approach, and their insights about the coaching profession. They're all people I like, respect and admire for the way they show up in the world. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to my Dancing in the Moment podcast with the wonderful Matt Bradley. Um, I'm here today to talk to Matt about his story before, during and after doing the Barefoot Coach training program and I'm talking to a number of coaches in this series who've set up successful businesses. The reason I'm talking to them is because in my work as a trainer of coaches, I constantly hear people getting to the end of the course and suddenly going, oh my goodness, what do I do? Do I need a niche? How do I build a business? How long will it take? What sort of fees do I charge And suddenly? All those questions kind of rush at them and they often persist for probably a year or 18 months as people find their way through building a business. So I really hope that today you will get loads of tips and wisdom from Matt because he's so honest and so generous always in sharing his information. Um, and I just wanted to uh, talk about a time when Matt was on the course with me and it was the time when I taught the course, so I taught Matt, it was... Matt will tell us how many years ago it was how long ago was it Matt? Uh,
1: Yeah 2011.
0: Okay so in 2011 nine years ago and um, Matt was working um, as a learning and development person. Yeah. Yeah Uh, in a retail business and uh, I remember that you said to me can I have lunch with you one day on the on the final module and we sat and had lunch together and you said, I'm going to, uh, probably just going to leave my job and uh, set up a business. And at the time you had three very little children, Mm -hmm. twins, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And in true coaching style, I went, no, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) I was <laughs> really worried for you just leaving your job, and um, so Matt, in, in true client style, completely ignored everything I said and did it, so, <laughs> um, and became very successful in the process. So um, that's just a you know just a, by way of introduction, I want to say a huge welcome to you, Matt. Thanks for coming to talk to us about your business.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, Kim. This makes me smile so much. I can't believe we're having this conversation nine years on from, uh, I think we were eating something like green beans and broad beans somewhere in the K West. uh, (laughs) (laughs) How the world has changed nine years later. I promise you, I do listen to you. Uh,
0: Yeah, but on that occasion, you were right not to. So, So tell us a bit about, you know, I, vaguely remember that you worked in L&D HR type thing and you worked mm. in HR. tell us a bit about your career before becoming a coach and then your decision to jump ship like that and um start a coaching business
1: okay yeah so i guess if i take it back a little bit so um uh, born and bred in Cornwall and left Cornwall when i was 18 to go to uni and studied in theatre and english would love to have gone into some kind of theatre based role and then the reality bit of being in London and needing to work. So um, sort of went straight into sort of LD type work, training type work, because it gave me an opportunity to, I guess, do some of the stand up presenting, which I enjoyed through theatre and the, uh, I used to do lots of writing of training and that's um, helped me with my ability to kind of create coaching programmes, which we can talk about in a second. Um, So, yeah, HR, learning and development type background was my my passion. I think the big thing for me was as I progressed through that type of career, I um, became more and more remote from actually training people. So I spent less time being with people and more time being in a kind of office environment, dealing with stakeholders and budgets and resource planning, and actually never really seeing an end client. So I never really knew how much of a difference we could make um, and I always loved and got my energy from being with people directly in the moment not in that kind of corporate political office environment so um, I, I remember somebody you who you know very well tapping me on the shoulder one day at work going I think you should go and do this coaching course and uh, I was allowed a C- bit of CPD budget for the year so I said i'm sorry i've already booked on an impact and influence course with another business so i'll phone them up and if they give me a refund i'll I'll go on that coaching course and they did (laughs) and uh and i can remember day one where you asked us all, what does coaching mean to you and i didn't have an answer because i didn't really know what it meant and i guess uh that seems (laughs) such a long way ago now but um uh, a real lovely moment that somebody just felt generous enough to tap me on the shoulder and go, I think this might work for you. And I guess in my career, I feel really lucky that I've had a few people who've just tapped me on the shoulder at the right time. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's how it's, uh, how it started for us.
0: Wonderful. Um, but, but before we look at what happened next, <clears throat> something just occurred to me as you were speaking and you were talking about your background in training and the design of training. Mm. How important do you think it is to have that if you're going to um, become a coach?
1: Oh, good question. Um, so I think it depends what your coaching offers going to be. Um, we've written a blog which is to sort of help new new to profession coaches. And one of the things we talk about in that blog is um, looking inside. And we we look into we talk about looking inside in terms of you know just not just getting really clear on what makes you you what you're passionate about what your strengths are what your unique skills are what makes you a bit different from everybody else um so for me when i did my i guess my looking inside bit that was all about okay what do i what could i bring Um, that I would enjoy in the coaching world so yep I can do the coaching bit um, which I learned through you and have absolutely loved because it meant that I got that client-facing experience which I was missing so we love that Um, and it also works really well in terms of my personal values number one is about making a difference and if I can see a difference being made that feels fabulous Um, but then uh, we do training around the kind of coaching skills work in organizations and that feels great because that's back to where I was and what I learned through HR and and, um, theater. But then the other thing for me was about how could I use my creative writing and my L&D design skills that I'd learnt over 10 years and the production of programs and good quality material. Um, And so, yeah, I used that skill, I guess, to help me create product and programs that we've then been able to use and sell. So it worked really well for me because it was a skill I had um but i guess other people will have their own sort of looking inside experiences and draw on their own unique skills that that may require um a bit of focus on design and and may not i do think though if you're going to play in the corporate world um you do need to have the ability to write really well be it proposals programs um propositions whatever it may be there is definitely a skill set to be had in that space Uh, and some of us may have it and others not so definitely worth thinking about
0: thank you Um, as i think about it matt i think it's a distinct advantage And, and i think if you're a new coach and you don't have experience of working with groups delivering training um specifically rather yeah and designing training i guess too i think it it's a good additional skill set to acquire Mm. because i think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the majority of coaches don't earn all their income from one-to-one face-to-face coaching Mm. but a lot of it is um, supported by whatever other skills they had maybe yeah. consultancy or HR work but a lot of the time it's training and delivering workshops too.
1: Yeah um, I, think, I think that's definitely true for us Kim so we started with purest one-to-one coaching and then we diversified as our clients wanted different things from us So they wanted group facilitation, they wanted team coaching, they wanted some training on coaching skills. And so we kind of went broader. And I think if you can only offer one-to-one coaching, that probably just closes down some opportunities for you. So if you have got some learning or some skills, I know you guys do a team coaching course, which is brilliant. A few of you might have been on it and said how brilliant it was, but I think coaches who sort of diversify will probably have more success in their corporate marketplace in being able to sell add-ons and um, f- far more than just purest one-to-one coaching.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. So, back to you. Did the barefoot course, and no. on the first day, you didn't quite know what coaching. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, on the last day, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, just yeah. explain how you made that transition from being employed to having your own self-employed coaching consultancy?
1: Yeah, I think it was um, uh, a bit of luck, a bit of good fortune, a bit of bravery, a bit of stupidity. Um, I was pretty um, uh, unlucky in that as soon as I finished the course um, I had to go to hospital and have an operation which meant I was off work for six weeks and I used that time to get all my essays done um, and worked brilliantly with your tutors who were amazing in supporting me to get that done in six weeks. So quite quickly, able to apply straight away for my post-grad status, which I encourage all, all barefooters. And I, re- I probably have one or two coffees a week virtually with people on barefoot courses saying, hey, can I have a chat with you about what you do? And I'm like, yeah, do your essays. Um, and, you know, get the recognition of the work you've put in on the course by getting your postgrad status. So I think getting the postgrad element was really important because it just gave me a bit of a differentiator in the marketplace at that time. Yeah. Um, and I do remember having a cup of coffee with a, a, a friend of mine who was a HR director in London, um, and I won't swear on this in case it offends anybody, but he swore at me quite a lot, um, and asked me why the beep, would I buy Matt Radley? When I can just go to any of the top coaching agencies in London, what what makes you any different, Matt? Brilliant question. Sent me packing. um, And it was just a lovely moment of reflection of, okay, how do you differentiate? How do you stand out in a marketplace where there are massive coaching businesses, Barefoot being one of them? How do you differentiate and get people to want to buy you? Um, So I think it's a brilliant question to answer I I think if you can't answer the question of why the beep would anyone buy you, you're probably floundering right now because the clarity is really important. I'm oh, sorry, I
0: just had an, I- an idea for a workshop we could do together. <laughs> Why the beep? would anyone buy you? Buy
1: you. Let's do it, Kim. Let's yeah. have that <laughs> moment. <laughs> I'll be with you on that one. And i also remember Tom Preston. He was just brilliant when he ran a session for us um, on the course, and he made us all stand up and he looked us all in the eye and said, how much do you charge? And um, if you couldn't give a very clear figure by holding the stare of Tom, you were asked to sit down. And at the end of the session, we all had to sit down because none of us were confident enough to articulate our value, our worth with confidence. So I think Tom's moment and the HR director moment were just brilliant for me because they forced me to sit down and go, What's my pricing structure? Can I hold somebody's stare when they ask me? Do I genuinely feel I'm worth it? Uh, and uh, what can I offer them for the rate that I'm charging them? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so I think That's those really- are important. <laughs>
0: Sorry, and that's a really big obstacle for some people to overcome, particularly people who've always been employed and have never had to uh, talk money. Yeah. Uh, So how did you learn to hold somebody's stare?
1: So for me, it came down to just practice. I read an article um, which really resonated with me. And it may not resonate with everybody, so I respect this, but it was just quite an interesting concept of self-worth equals net worth. And I just, it sort of resonated with me for that reason about Tom, of, you know, how confident are you in yourself and believing in yourself and believing in your own worth and your offer, And therefore the ability to talk money with people when they're actually buying you, they're not buying your old business or a product. They're actually paying a figure for buying you as a human being. And it's just quite a nice context, you know, how confident are you to put a value on yourself and what you bring and the, um, the breadth of your offer and the skills that you can, that you can bring and the value. (laughs) So I think it's a really, really nice way of just thinking, okay, Am I clear that I can offer this at that rate? And I genuinely believe that it's a value I can add for you. Um, so, worth <laughs> it. Uh,
0: I was uh, running a supervision group yesterday, a um, supervision group for an, a few coaches uh, who are still training. Um, yeah. And I was reminding them actually that not only do you invest a you know, significant amount of money and time and energy, intellectual energy in training to be a coach. You also um, continue investing in yourself and your development in a number of ways and supervision for me always sort of highlights that continued investment. Um, So uh, as, as supervisor, somebody in the group brings an issue that they have with the client. Mm -hmm. I and all the other members of the supervision group are sitting around really thinking about that client and how the coach can go back and do even more, be even better for that client.
1: Brilliant.
0: The coach pays for that supervision. And I think that sometimes coaches negate, delete, all the energy and all the investment that they put into being the great coaches that they are, and I, I encourage people to just think about things like that. Yeah, when you have to hold somebody's stare, and spend yeah. much.
1: I think um, but you know, we talk quite a lot about how much we've invested in ourselves, and we reckon, on average, in terms of our associates, we've spent at least twenty thousand pounds each, on. coaching qualifications and mental health first aid qualifications and cbd and icf and emcc and psychometric tools and all sorts of things so we're not just buying clients aren't just buying you for an hour or an hour and a half they're buying in our case twenty thousand pounds worth of trading qualifications plus 20 years in industry and 20 years of making a difference to other clients and we've learned through all of that so they aren't buying you they're buying everything that you bring and I just think that's such a rich way of looking at your value
0: yeah yeah that's great thank you um so we keep we keep nearly getting to the point of this. <laughs> <laughs> what happens then <laughs> and I keep asking you questions and interrupting you how did you start the business
1: okay keep it simple um, I was really lucky in that I was working for an organisation. I was coaching internally towards the end, having done my post grad. Um, I selected my uh, test students through my post grad quite well—people in within organisations who might then possibly buy me back when I was qualified. So I picked three people, and each of those three people have become our biggest clients.
0: That's amazing.
1: So, um, a real encouragement to anybody who's going through the postgrad or is thinking of doing the postgrad, select your um, test students really wisely, think about where you want to operate. In my case, it was in commercial organisations and I asked people and gave something and eventually they gave back and gave back brilliantly over the last nine years. So, a brilliant opportunity to think commercially even whilst you're studying.
0: So let me just stop and marvel at that. Those three we tend to call them volunteer uh, clients or test uh, students, as you call them. Those three people that you started working with are still your commercial corporate clients today. Yeah,
1: those brands. Yeah, they're our biggest brands. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and we um. I think, but, but it's really important, Kim, to go back to the point you made earlier, which is diversifying away from just purest one-to-one coaching. So they might have started with purest one-to-one coaching and then have developed into coaching skills, facilitation, qualifications, all those sorts of broader team coaching offers. So, but yes, they, I think that those, all of those people are still um, our corporate clients now.
0: That's wonderful. And, and I think it's just worth saying to anyone listening that there's such a lot of cross fertilization from those different offerings. So we talk about training and um, uh, working with groups. Often that then leads to one-to-one coaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. definitely. As your
0: initial introduction at doing one-to-one coaching led the organizations to ask you, what can you do for teams or-
1: Yeah, exactly. It kind of works both ways, I think. So I think there was something around, um, around selecting those delegates really well. And then um, for me, because of the situation at home with the three little people, um, I was really lucky in that I was, a, I was given a contract by the company I was working for, to do some coaching for a couple of days a week on one of their hypo programmes whilst I left. So I had a, a, a nice little bit of income coming in and that, that transition was really important. I see lots of coaches kind of going, shall I just quit and start from scratch? And what will day one be like? And actually for me, I didn't take that route. Um, I'm not sure if I'd have been brave enough, if I'm totally honest, to take that route in the situation we were in at home. Um, I transitioned towards something. And I really encourage people to think about transition as a way of moving from employed to self-employed. Uh, not a stop and start, but a continuum that might give you a little bit of income whilst you're continuing to build at the same time. So that's the approach that, that we took because that was my personal financial situation at the time. So something to think through.
0: Yeah, that's thank you. Um, and I just want to challenge you on the fact that you were lucky and they offered you some work. <laughs> that, that, you know that old saying luck is where preparation meets opportunity
1: <laughs> i'll take that kim
0: <laughs> so yeah, yeah obviously you must have told them that you were that you were now trained as a coach and that yeah. you're thinking about doing some coaching just say a little bit more about how you did that because um, there have been a number of people who've been through the barefoot course over time who have successfully gone back to their organizations as you did and, yep. um, and sort of, you know, being retained on an associate or consultancy basis. And yep. others who've gone back, I know, uh, somebody we both know um, who worked in L&D in a company where they didn't have a kind of coaching culture at all, did our program, went back and said, hey, I want to be head of coaching, please. Yeah. And I, build a coaching culture here so i think there's something for those people who are employed that we could discuss about how do you have those conversations with your employers
1: yeah no i think it's a good really good job kim i think there's a there's a couple of things that come to mind as you're asking i think one one thing is about where does it sit within the context of the organizational strategy so I think you're at risk of sort of saying, I'm really excited and really passionate about coaching. Hey, can I come and do coaching? But if there's no correlation to where the organisation is going, maybe their people agenda, uh, their L&D agenda, which should be aligned to their organisational agenda and vision. And I think if you can make that correlation quite quickly with some relatively senior leaders, then you've probably got a great place to play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the way in which it worked for us is that we went str- I went straight back to the organisation I was in. Talked about what I've been doing and the fact that organisation had um, co-funded for me and um, how could I give something back? And there was something about giving something back that seemed to cause them to think about where their own value was as a result of investing in me. Um, And then we went straight into consultation with HR director, picking brains from people at a strategic level about what coaching could look like in that organisation and what they would want to see from people who had been coached. And that led us to designing the first program that we then ran for their high potential cohorts for the next couple of years so i think a couple of key things in that is line it up to something within the organizational strategy so it makes sense to key stakeholders and then get key stakeholder input um, into what they'd love to see from their coaching agenda and i think if you can bring all of that systemic knowledge together then you're in a really strong place for proposition in terms of the role that you could play either employed or, or possibly consulting or self-employed.
0: That's wonderful, that's really helpful, thank you. Um, also, I'm keen to talk about your sort of business models. Our models are different in that I have um, employees, um, and I th- think I'm right in thinking that you have a, a, a business where you have a small team of associates who work yeah. with you very closely.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, so, so could you just say a bit about um, why you opted for that model and how it works?
1: Yeah, so, yeah no problem at all. I mean, we did look at uh, employed um, coaches I mean, let's be honest with COVID right now, I'm very grateful for that not being the case, but we definitely did look at it as an opportunity because there's a um, the likelihood is that you'll get a slightly better return on the profit line as a result of having an employee versus an associate because in general, associates are paid more than an employee would be paid because they take a higher risk of maybe there's work and maybe there's not work. Um, f- for me personally, uh, and this is partly to do with my own Self. I did some um, psychometrics on risk a couple of years ago to try and understand my own tendency towards risk or not. And it, and it, re- it was really clear, Kim, uh, about my sort of financial uh, ability to take risk. And um, I recognised that I'm not that good at taking f- big financial risks. So actually I was more comfortable with an associate model than an employee model. I know I pay more for that route but it also gives me flexibility and I know I've got an unbelievably talented pool of people that I can draw on when I need to. And they're all, I mean, they're genuinely brilliant coaches, but amazing friends and we work really closely together. So there was something about flexibility of an associate model that means um, they bring something different to me. I have my thing, but they all bring something which we learn from and we share and we, we are generous with each other. And I guess there's something about um, making a conscious decision of the finances versus actually flexibility and new skill sets. And um, we operate adult-adult. I'm not their boss. We just operate in a kind of peer group together, and it feels really, really rich. So I'm very grateful for for the relationships that I've got in that space.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of watched from the sidelines, and I think you have a really hugely successful Associate model, Um, and I know that you provide supervision for the associates, presumably ongoing training, away days, those kinds of things too. So it feels like a really tight unit when I uh, meet any of you.
1: Yeah, we're back. We're um, all together tomorrow. We have um, quarterly um, business development and CEO days. Normally in London, they're virtual at the moment, obvious reasons where invest in bringing trainers or dietitians or CPD, or we do some supervision. Um, and that just keeps our little community together really. And then at the moment with COVID, every three weeks we come together for a connect and learn session where each of us will take a role of doing some CPD for the rest of the group. So I guess it's something about um, like a bit of a community feel and, and really letting everybody play to their strengths and bring something unique, um, yeah. our current offer is a combination of each of the associate strengths. It's not my, my strength, some of it's my strength, but actually the offer that you'd see if you looked at what we do um, now is a combination of actually drawing on the associate strengths um, and le- letting them kind of thrive and building them and their capacity up, which is amazing to watch. I absolutely love it, so.
0: Yeah, that is wonderful. Um, and I, I'm going to ask you this in case anyone listening is considering um becoming an associate but i want to be really clear that i'm not asking it in case anyone listening think you're becoming an associate (laughs) badly an associate because i'm i'm pretty sure that you're at the moment you're fine Um, but but generally speaking you know there is a Place for people to not build their own business but build a business that's based on being an associate for other coaching companies. So, I thought it'd be interesting to uh, for both of us to uh, talk about what, what is it we look for when we are uh, working with associates or recruiting associates to work with us.
1: Yeah, okay. Um... Good. I think portfolio careers can be really successful. So associate relationships can work brilliantly. Um, I think there's a few challenges in terms of being an associate. One is, you know, when you know the availability of work and the consistency of work. What if you're an associate for multiple organisations? Is there any NDA type crossover challenges that you might face if your if a client um, is a competitor of somebody else? So there's a few things to really think through. Each organisation might have different standards. We have very high standards for our associates. What
0: are they, Matt?
1: So they are that everybody must be post-grad qualified and done their essays. Yeah. They must have £5 million yeah. pounds worth of liability insurance. They must be ACC working towards PCC through ICF. Um, they must be mental health first aid qualified. They must have supervision and CPD with us ongoing throughout the year. So... um. Uh, they must also be mbti psychometric qualified and eq360 qualified so um, it's quite a high sort of order but different organizations might have different requirements so i guess if you're an associate's lots you've got to be able to meet all of their different sets of criteria yeah i think when when looking for an associate for me it's not about that list though that for me is just minimum standard And i have these conversations quite a lot with people going hey i'm so and so i've just done barefoot um, can i get a job with you and i'm like i'll always give you an hour definitely no worries yes you need to hit this long list of standards which often turns a lot of people away because they think i don't really want to have to commit to all of that and that's okay and that's a self-selection thing the second thing for me is values and the behaviors that they display because you can have all of those technical skills and qualifications But if at the end of the day, you don't fit in terms of values, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, um, in terms of what we look for our associates, and, and you know that I was really unwell last year, and I was in hospital, and I had no concern whatsoever about putting any of my associates into my clients, in my space. And for me, selecting associates is about the confidence to put them in my shoes. Would I believe in them enough to take my role? And um, I'm immensely grateful for for the team that supported me last year. Um, When I was out of work for four months, they stepped straight in. So it's more than just the qualification. It's the values and the behaviours that they display for me. What's it it for you, Kim, when you pick an associate? Much the same.
0: We don't have the same requirements for uh, the psychometric uh, testing. Um, But yeah, um, PG cert, minimum academically, ideally masters. ACC working towards PCC, they have to have PCC to be working on our coach training programmes. Values fit, psychological mindedness. Um, I, I tend to recruit people who have some background in psychotherapy or psychology. Um, psychological mindedness, commercial mindedness
1: yeah.
0: as well um, to um, be practicing coaches to have their own coaching business as well so that they, you know, they are constantly growing and developing their experience of coaching even beyond what Barefoot does with them. Um, very, very similar. Um, and then that, um, you know, imperceptible, f- I'm, I'm, I'm doing that thing with my hands that no one can see because we're not. <laughs> I can see. But that sort of fit. The feeling-y bit. The, the, the fit for me is around um, having the ability to work at an emotional, psychological, even intellectual level, with light with lightness night yeah lovely and be a kind of regular person at the same yeah. time
1: i really love that i love it one of, one of the things that i think is really important for, for people coming through the business thinking about setting up a business is um we, we call it looking inside out which is what do you stand for as a business what are your What are your guiding principles? What are your guiding values? What are your guiding behaviours that you look for in yourself? And then if you're selecting associates, that you select them in line with that. But being really clear about those principles I think is critical for people. Yeah. Um, Because it tells your story and everybody knows that they represent your story in that way. And I just think that's really, really rich. Getting really clear on those things is really powerful.
0: It's really important. We recruit through those now. We've got some lovely ones. we spent a long time. one that I love is uh, Compassionate Truth Tellers.
1: Oh, wow. I love that. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. And our kind of you know, core focus is making the world a brighter place through exceptional coaching.
1: Lovely, absolutely brilliant, <laughs> and it's
0: really, it is really worth finding those values, not just picking them off the shelf. Before we used to have like honesty, integrity, but who hasn't got those? Yeah. We really found words that represented who we are inside, what we stand for, and then that makes recruitment so much easier.
1: Oh, completely. Um, I share a couple of hours. I mean we, what, the one that I think has been most commercially successful for us, um, which might be helpful for students, uh, with you guys, um, for us it's trusted partnership. One of my personal values is around trust and equality, so I like that feeling and partnership has meant that we've not just delivered what we can deliver, we've delivered what they've wanted. That's meant we've had to diversify um, and, and, uh, that, and that feels like a really lovely place to be. We go way above and beyond standard kind of client um, buying a thing, and we tend to sort of embed ourselves within their organization and become part of their organization remotely. Yeah. So that sort of sense of trusted partnership has worked really, really well um, for us. And, and then an, another one for us is what we call person-centred, team-centred, organization-centred, and system-centred. So it's that sort of sense that we are working primarily with an individual, but that might be that we work with them within the context of the team, in the context of the organization, and in in the context of a broader system. So it's that sense of um, being more than just, quote, life coaching, which um, lots of people make judgments around. So yeah, I think there's something about having a set of values that seems to help you guide who you select into your organisation.
0: Yeah, so much. Um, I just checked the time and I can't believe how long you <laughs> have been talking for. And this could go on for hours, couldn't it? In fact, it often does when we meet.
1: It does, normally with a glass of something, Or a gin
0: or two, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, is there anything at this point that you haven't said that you think would be useful to people who are about to leave the barefoot course and start you know, self employment or people who are early in that journey?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing for me is managing yourself and being really clear that you'll never be somebody else. (laughs) And you can look at social media and you can look at LinkedIn and you can look at websites and you can see what other people are doing and the stories that they're telling. And we encourage people to, and we use this sort of phrase, looking to learn. So enjoy looking and enjoy learning, but don't let that take you away from your core sense of purpose and your core offer. Because we know from research about you know, our children, looking at social media, comparing themselves to other people, the number of coaches I see who, who compare themselves to other people through what they see on social media, none of us know whether that's true, we hope it is, but you're never gonna be those people and that's okay. So you know, Kim doing a postgrad, brilliant. Uh, Matt doing his level three programme, brilliant. Matt doing resilience, Kim doing team coaching, great. And I can look and learn from you and I do regularly look and learn from you. But I think if I go too far down the route of going, oh, I'm not doing that, I should be doing that. I'm not doing that, I should be doing that. It just eats away at your confidence because you're not that person. So if you can get yourself to a place of looking to learn, not looking to compare, and go back to what you're about as a human being and what you bring to coaching, then I think that's the greatest gift that any of us can have.
0: Oh, that's so beautifully put. I look and learn from you too. Um, and I, um, I don't know whether this has been misattributed to Oscar Wilde. You know how quotes get misattributed now. It doesn't really matter who said it but I, it's a quote I love, which is, goes something like this, just be yourself because everyone else is already taken.
1: Brilliant. I'm exactly <laughs> in that space, Kim. I really, I think that's a lovely way to 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 bring this conversation to conclusion. I just hope everybody gets to the end of this conversation in <laughs> audio so hear it.
0: <laughs> Perhaps I'll do a sneak preview of the last thing we said so that <laughs> listen to the end. Um, and thank you so much. You bring, as ever, um, generosity, clarity, um, kindness, compassion, and a really lively mind to everything that you do. Um, I value every conversation we have together, and I've really valued how much you've given to others in this podcast today. So thank you
1: so much no problem at all and you know it's really important to us to feel like we're giving our bit back to the community so if there are coaches out there who just need a quick half an hour pep talk on a few of the pointers from today really happy to do that for people we do it all the time so um please do share that if that's helpful